and then here. Hello, everybody. I know that I'm sorry about that. Fiddling with the microphone still. This is Stream of Consciousness here to stream my consciousness consciously or something like that. Um, I am having i'm i'm i don't know i don't i'm not exactly sure why i felt the need to podcast tonight i mean i kind of do gosh it's so frustrating it's really frustrating i think i want to talk about love a little because um at least at this particular moment okay i have uh, done some things to kind of I have a lot of love in me this is what I'm recognizing is that I I love very easily it's not because I don't hold people accountable it's not because I'm a Pollyanna it is not because um I want to be liked. Um, it is because people are amazing. People are beautiful and surprising and complicated. And you never know what they're going to do. And they, and we all, it's, there's just, there's just something about the way that human beings are that just makes me just kind of love them universally, mostly because, you know, that was my faith. That That's my faith. That's how I was brought up to believe. That is what I continue to believe, um, that we are all worthy of love. And growing up with that perspective and kind of living with very flawed <laughs> grown-ups in my home. Um, and when I say flawed, I mean toxic. That forced me, you know, when when what I'm being what I'm reading in the Bible is to honor my parents and um that God is love and to follow his um the example of Christ and all of these things. And really believe it, I really believe it. I believed it then as a child. I learned how to love people even when they were behaving in unlovable ways. And I am grateful for that. Do I wish I could have learned how to do that in a different way? Do I wish that that lesson had come, those lessons had come um, via, sorry, I'm gonna fiddle because I'm just gonna try to dim some of the noise that may show up because I'm not closing my window, but I will close my very, very heavy curtains. Um, you know, I can't even remember what I was saying, but but basically I learned how to love people. And I what I what it taught me, and what I learned from learning how to love even the unlovable or uh, people who are doing unlovable things. Oh. 
had to sneeze is how happy it made me. How happy it made me to see something for what it is, to recognize both the flaws and the, um, that's not a direct correlation. I want to say flaws and assets, but the flaws and the things that a person does well to recognize those things both together and also to recognize how very often the flaws and the things that we are good at feed into each other. So many times I've been frustrated with, um, with someone in my life and thought, you know, <laughs> that person is horrible because they're doing this thing. And then asked myself, what is that attached to? Because if we are all two sides of the same coin, every one of us individually, there are, there are very few behaviors that we exhibit, whether to the good or the bad, that are unconnected from the rest of us. That is just a singular poor behavior that just happens and is not related to anything else in our bodies or our minds. So the idea that I can extract this flaw from someone and they still be the person I love doesn't make sense to me. Because when we extract the flaw, I mean, I think it was Wayne Dyer who said that um, flaws are just um, good qualities turned up too loud. And I, that is just so true. It is so true. What every person, just about every person that I know who, um, and myself for sure, like, believe me, I'm deeply flawed. Um, and that's another reason why I love people <laughs> because I recognize that I am so imperfect. I am so flawed and I want to be loved anyway. And there are people who love me anyway. Um, but that every, if I, if I try to extract someone's flaws, I'm extracting their, their selfhood. Um, I'm also probably taking away some good quality that I love them for. And that's the other part too, is a recognition that these are not objective states. It is, you know, what we view as a flaw in someone. It's not objective. Oh, they are not great because they did that thing and where they are behaving this way. And that makes them, you know, obviously, objectively not lovable in my mind. It just doesn't really work that way. We can ease, how many people have, how many times have we been in a relationship or a friendship with someone and the friendship ended for the same reasons <laughs> that we liked the person in the first place. We stopped liking them for things that we started out loving them for. So I have to kind of recognize that my reaction to another person's flaws, that they're, that that is not going to be all about them, that that's going to have a lot to do with me as well. It's going to have a lot to do with what I'm telling myself about what their behavior means. Um, it's going to have a lot to do with what little um, thing, you know, trigger or activation point the behavior touched on. 
It's going to have to do with my mood. It's going to have to do with the time of day. It's going to have to do with what kind of day I've had. It's going to have to do with so many things that have absolutely nothing to do with the person or the person's actual behavior. So that is why I love easily because people are eminently lovable. They just are. And I was thinking about my relationship, my former relationship. (laughs) And I know I think about it a lot. I can't help it. It was life-changing and it was, and this is a person that I still have a lot of feelings for and it's still unresolved and they're still unresolved and they will remain unresolved because you know, they've gone on with their lives and I am no longer a part of it. Um, And also, so that's part of it, but the other part is this, is that they're no longer the person that I remember. And I mean that in ways that are complicated and private that I'm not gonna go into, but um, they're not a person who holds themselves accountable anymore. And that matters to me. Accountability matters because, you know, holding themselves accountable would have been coming to have a conversation. Holding themselves accountable would have been to say, hey, I behaved behaved this way or that way. And let's talk about it. Let's like, let's be accountable to what we had together. Let's be accountable, whatever, you know, it's a breakup. They're broken up. They don't owe me anything anymore. But the way they behave makes me know that that's that's gone. I miss them. I miss what I had with them. And I miss feeling connected to someone. I miss that level of deep connection. Um, but I was just thinking about what is it for me that I remember my parents' marriage and I remember my mom being you know, the saint who, you know, was there for everybody. And I remember my dad being resentful of that. Um, I didn't perfectly, I I sort of understood it at the time because I was, you know, experiencing similar feelings about that Um, because she was very good to people outside of our home, but she was completely unavailable to everybody inside. And I would say that that was the case from uh, probably about 10 years old. Before that, she was super engaged, blah, 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 blah. And then she just slowly started checking out. And then she was just gone entirely. Um, and I, I understood, like, why my dad felt this amount of jealousy or frustration or, or neglect. He, <laughs> he was a monster in his own ways, but, you know... Um, I understood why he felt that way. And I recognized that for the men in my life, that is a dynamic I have managed to recreate in, in various ways. They feel, I have a way I know of making them feel unnecessary and unneeded when we are connecting. So 
whether it's a conversation or a relationship, I always do make them feel as if their their presence, their engagement is not something that I need. Um, and that works great when you're dating. <laughs> it's fine when someone, when you're just starting to, not even like, you know, early on in the process as far as uh, uh, attaching someone's interest, but it is less effective in the deepening of the relationship. And as I think about wanting connection and wanting like to be prioritized, I have to kind of think about how do I make a partner feel that they are prioritized? How do I, and how do, because I know that I'm prioritizing them, right? I feel it. But if there are ways that I'm showing up, because guy just told me that he felt like I, like he needs to be needed and he felt like I didn't need him. True. I don't. I know how not to need people. And, and when I say need, I mean like I, my existence is in danger because you're not there. Um, so I'm good at tracking down what do I want my, you know, tracking the difference between my wants and my needs. Need is something I'm going to die without. Want is everything else. That's how I look at it. And I know that's not right. I know that I'm, I, I need to grow in my understanding of need. Um, or grow in my ability, not necessarily my understanding, because I do feel like I under understand it better, but I feel like I need to grow in my ability to let the other person know that they are needed and help them to see how my needing them shows up for me. It might not work for everybody and I'm sure it won't. I'm sure that there are people like my explaining it to them is gonna be like, well, I need to be needed in a different way. And that's absolutely fair. But I do want, so I, I have started to think about like, how do I feel when, I, what, what does it mean to me to need someone? What does that, what does that look like? And one of the things I sort of realized is that um, I love a lot of people. There are a lot of people in my life that I love. And mostly with them, I am happy to have whatever relationship they want to have with me. So I believe in freedom. I believe in, um, in, in having a light and, and holding people lightly so they always feel that they can go. Um, but not everybody feels that way. Not everybody, not everybody wants to feel like I they're sitting on an open hand. Some people want the security of me like tightening my grip a little or cupping my hands, right, around them. And that's not something I've learned how to do yet. It's something I'm working on. Um, I need a partner, I think, to really work on that particular thing. Um, 
but when it comes to how I need a particular person, I love a lot of people and I love easily, but I do not allow, I do not easily allow myself to be loved. And that's where the need is. The way, when I let someone in to love me, um, that is a sacred space for me because I have learned how to get along without for so long. I have learned how to manage and cope and be strong and all of those things and, you know, stand on my own, all of those things, which are, which I, I've learned how to do, you know, I'm, I'm avoidant, you know, <laughs> I'm avoidant. It's my attachment style. And I, I do, I have, I've made a lot of, I've done a lot of growth and growing, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things I, I still feel for my friends as well, close, those close friends that I have, I don't think that they know how much I need them. Um, and when I look at it, you know, what I've told myself is that I feel that way or, or, or I do that because I don't want them to feel trapped, but it's also true. And that is true, but there's a, there's a, there's a truth that lays beneath that truth. And that is, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to show you how much I need you in my life, how much your presence um, enriches it and how much I rely on that presence. Yes, I am very, very good at adjusting when things have to change, when a person needs to pull away or they get busy or whatever. I'm very, very good at it. But I miss you and I and I want you back and I wish you weren't gone and I feel a little off balance. I'm a little on tilt because, you know, the the presence of you that I had and the, the presence um, of your physical being physically being there, your schedule as in terms of temporally being there. So being there in the time, you know, the time that we spend and the, the focus and attention and love and sense that I have from you of my place in your heart. I need all of those things. I need them. I rely on them. And I hide that from the people I love because I'm afraid it's too much. I'm afraid it will be too much for them that it'll be like too heavy and they'll want to go away. So I, you know, tend to keep it to myself. I have a really dear friend. Well, he's becoming a very dear friend. Um, not in a romantic sense, but in a like, would I like it to be romantic? I'm always on the fence about that. Even when the answer is a, a, a resounding, you know, like if, if, you know, the person were to come to me like, hey, you know, I really, really like you. Let's, you know, date or whatever. Um, I am bad at 
until that happens, um, I don't, I don't usually know what I want. And when that happens, then I know, you know, I, I ask myself the questions. Um, so here's the thing. If you were to show up in a romantic way, would I want that from him? I'm on the fence. But I adore, I adore and I love and appreciate the way that he kind of, you know, my life is small. It is very small. Um, and I've said before that I, I, I live for and with my friends and he has been really, really sweet and lovely about letting me into his life and um, sharing with me, you know, what he's thinking about and what he's doing and that kind of stuff. And that, it just, I kind of, I've, I haven't yet got to the point where I've allowed myself to rely on it, but I, have I? Yeah, I have. I kind of have. I kind of do. I kind of, not in the sense of it would break me if it no longer, if, if the, if the friendship ended or, you know, they no longer showed up in that particular way, not in that sense, but in the sense that I would definitely be on tilt if, um, suddenly that was no longer a thing that he did. I would, I would miss that a lot and I appreciate it so much. I've not said so to him. I have not let him see it. <laughs> I'm going to get better at that. Um, I, a friend said to, and a, another thing, like friends, I love friends because, you know, they tell you about yourself, things you had no idea about, they tell you. Um, so a friend told me that I was like a bulldozer sometimes, that I have that mode. Um, what else did she say? She said, mm. anyway, she said something that gave me this, oh, 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 that I seem super nice when, before you get to know me. <laughs> and then when you get to know me, I'm kind of a tough cookie. And that is very true. And I, I really, frankly, I think that's the way it should be. I think, you know, you should be easygoing with all. Um, and then, but those who are wanting to be close, the stakes go up. And they, and you get to show them those parts of you that, you know, are not necessarily fit for public consumption. And I, I, I love having the intimacy of that connection with the people in my life with whom I have it. I am so grateful for it. And I do need it. I do need it. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking about this stuff. And I've been doing, and I, I know the last time I came here, I was saying that I have decided to use, because I'm not able to separate off the tendrils of what happened with my previous intimate friend group. Those people who knew me better than anybody else, those people who I thought loved me more than I'd ever been loved, um, and the way that the end of the relationship, romantic relationship got entangled 
with the ends of the friendships, it's just very difficult to parse it emotionally. These days, I'm much more angry at my friend. And I, I have a I have a lot of resentment towards my friend. Eh, less than I did since doing the Miracle Court thing. Love Miracle Court. It was amazing. If you've never heard of it, it's this app. It's a web app. You um, put someone on trial for having done you wrong and you play all the parts. And it's really helpful. It, it really helps clear the decks emotionally because it forces you into the other person's perspective. I have yet to do it with my ex because I'm just, I don't know. I don't, because I don't want to believe that that situation is still so emotionally active for me that I need to. I don't want to believe that. And I'm in denial over that fact. Uh, I'm not doing miracle court. And when I'm really ready to sit with and acknowledge that as much as I have just how, you know, how healthy it is to view the relationship, those that period of my life and the relationships that existed in that period when I was that person, um, that those helped form a sort of re-nurturing of me that I kind of needed, um, sort of that allowed me to do some reparenting. Uh, yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> Thinking of it that way. Well, I can think about it that way. And I, and I do feel it that way and see it as a springboard. And it is like really helping me. Like I'm, I'm doing things. I'm showing up in ways in my life that I had not been able to before viewing it as a time of learning and care and healing and repair and tenderness and nurturing as that time. That's what that was. That whole experience was, but I still miss my ex. I miss him and I still need him. There's a part of me that still needs what he did back then. I don't think he could do it now because I don't know. Yeah. He couldn't do it now. He couldn't do it now because the truth is if he could, he would have shown up long. He would have shown up. He would, he would show up and take a, accountability. Um, if he could, he would show up and be the person that I remember who was able to look at their own behavior and own what they've done and um, work through, talk through something. He's not that person anymore. And I respect that this is, and that's not a fair thing to say because I don't know that he's not that person. I know that he can't engage with that part of himself as far as I'm concerned at this time. Um, I, and I feel that he also knows that with me, repair is something that has to be done authentically. You can't come to me because you want stuff from me. It needs to be there that I have a little bit of a high bar for him to clear in order to in order to consider going back into anything even friendship with him at this point 
and he's not ready to clear that bar because you know he's got a lot of stuff on his plate that he's dealing with in his own life and you know he's got a lot of he's got a lot of calls on his time and emotions and blah 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 and he's got to deal with some stuff so i don't expect so to say that he's not that person anymore is unfair so that is how i'll frame it is to say that he is not in a place where he can show up in a way that would get him anywhere with me in that conversation because i do believe that if he could he would a hundred percent you know i wanted to be a jerk about him and you know i and hate his guts and i don't really hate his guts i went through a period of hating his guts and that was fun for a minute and a half um but i know that if he could he would and if he's not it's because he can't and that might change and it might not but i have to get on with what i need to do for me regardless so here i am trying to get through this on my own with very little information anyway so there's that the other that is this um I need money. (laughs) Water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. And here's what's frustrating for me is that I have well-to-do friends. I have a number of well-to-do friends. And while I know that there are people who have friends and relationships where no, have, 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 yeah, have relationships with people. Um, and I'm not talking romantic, I'm talking relationships in a generic sense. And they find themselves in a position of being given a lot of things. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to move in a way that allows that to happen naturally and comfortably. I'm bad. I'm a bad receiver. That is just a fact. I've worked through and gotten better with time, but that fact still remains. And money and and, and the truth is any I don't like to get from anyone anything I can't give to them. And I can't give back money to my friends because, you know, I can't. Um, So my therapist is actually trying to (laughs) he's gonna work with me on how to do better with it how to not view and also i hate money gosh do i hate money oh i hate it because it is There's been a lot of, you know, I had a, I feel like I've been broke my entire life, even though I haven't been like, but like always needing a little extra money and always not getting, always not having enough. And I'm just, if I go back to like childhood, like just to get, for example, my um, allowance, $1.25 a week, if we did our chores correctly, which when you are 
when you are raised by military parents, I mean, my mom wasn't military, but she was, you know what I mean? Because, okay, everybody who had, <laughs> if you have parents who are family that is career military for a couple of generations, you know that you are not a civilian. Not really. You're not armed forces, but you're also not a civilian because you don't know how to think like one. So my, so like chores in our house were a ridiculous thing for children to try to engage with. They were crazy. I mean, my parents' standards for what was a, a good job at, you know, when I was a kid were ridiculous. Um, so there was that. So there was that, that whole, am I going to get my allowance this month, this week? No, I'm not because I didn't do it right. And yes, I would like to go get something, but I can't. Um, and the other thing, the other money thing was, I think with my dad, I made a deal with him when I was like 10 or 11 years old. I can't remember. Early, early, early tweens or late, late to mid tweens. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would have been when I was young. Um, oh gosh, that was, oof. Oof. Yes. Okay. Now, now, now I'm hitting on it. <laughs> Okay, so I made a deal with my dad that um, I asked him if I could iron his shirts for $2 a week. And he took me up on it. And uh, the man ironed his clothes. So that would be his work clothes. His, his Well, iron all of his clothes, really. So I ironed his clothes that he used for our faith community. I ironed all his work clothes. And he was, you know, um, not, he, he wasn't, a laborer so you know and he also had military standards for what ironing looked like and they were so so specific how you ironed around the button the crease what the crease how the crease had to had to lay um how you did the cuffs um how you did the collar the exact way the method uh right down to the direction you put the shirts in into the closet. And I will swear to you because he was kind of a monster when I was a kid and he was a bit like, he liked uproar and enjoyed punishing. Um, there were times when he changed the direction. He would be like, oh yes, well, I want all my shirts going this way. Well, then he would change. He's like, oh, I want them all going that way. And now you're in trouble and you get a beating because, and that was the other part of it, was that if I got it wrong, there'd be physical punishment. Um, so here it is. <laughs> and then when I tried to quit, he would not let me quit. The, the, the most that would happen was that, that happened was that he was willing to double what I was getting paid, which was to $4 a week. And I was trapped in this, wow, situation. Wow, I had not thought about this at least 30 years. I, in, I knew that it was bad and I knew that it was hurtful and harmful, but I had not realized, like, it had not occurred to me to sort of recognize how the money and the physical abuse and the emotional abuse um, kind of got tied together. So clearly, now I understand a little bit better, like why I hate money. <laughs> so um, 
asking someone for financial help feels really dangerous, really dangerous. Um, accepting financial help feels just as dangerous. There's a fear and, and you know, my mom's attitude toward money was not particularly healthy either, although she was very, very good at dealing with it, you know. She she had she paid off the credit cards every month and plenty of savings and all of that stuff. But um, I became, you know, I was 18. Very first job I had was with a phone company. And it was I was a 411 operator in the days just before they started recognizing the importance of ergonomics. Um, so a lot of us were walking around with splints on our arms, on our hand, on our wrists, um, and working in pain. And I got a particularly bad case of, um, repetitive motion injury or, or, or what do you call it? Multiple tendonitis, I think is what they called it. And I, and at the time the company was not handling those cases very well. They would play games. Um, so what would happen is you would be on, I'd have to go on and off of workers' compensation. I mean, there were times when I literally drove to work high because I was in so much pain and I needed to drive to get to work, uh, which was also painful and I needed to be at work. And I, I didn't know any better at the time. Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, and so what they would do in order to force you back to work was they would start holding your your uh, workers' compensation checks. <sighs> it's nasty. And so I would so I would ask for money from my mom. And I would ask my dad for money because you know he was the head of the house and he made the decisions. And his his response was always ask your mother. And so I'd ask my mother, and my mother's response would be to have me craft an entire budget so that she could see what was going wrong with my money. She knew what was going wrong with my money, but I had to report to her what I had done. Um, and there were, there were all these like intangible string, strings attached to it. And there was always her disappointment and anger at having to do anything for me which is the way she was. She is to this day, a person for whom my existence is inconvenient. And I never, rarely, I should say, rarely leave a conversation with her without feeling that she would rather I just disappeared. Do I think she wants me dead? No, I just think that if she had a choice of my not existing versus my existing, she would pick not existing because I'm a problem for her my wanting needing things Ooh, hello gee i wonder why i have difficulty with the idea of accepting anything from anyone that i cannot give them hmm complicated okay so um yeah and i just got off the the phone with a friend who um i i talked about this a little bit with him because you know, he's one of those people who, if when he asks me how I'm doing, it 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 would be a trespass of our relationship 
for me not to tell him the truth. And it's unspoken, but I know that that's true. I don't know that he always tells me the truth. <laughs> he is very like loving and giving and like just wonderful. I love and adore him so much. Um, so I'm sitting there with this message and I'm looking at the words, how are you doing? And I'm going, oh, is there a way around this? Can I, can, is there, can I, can I just not answer this particular question right now today? Uh, and recognized, of course, that no, I need to answer the question. So I, I, I answered it as, as lightheartedly as I could because I'm not okay right now in the moment or at, at, at this particular little time period. And it's because I, I need money, frankly. Um, I have an illness which <sighs> limits me so much. <laughs> um, and I'm stuck. I'm sort of stuck. I'm stuck because my, my expenses exceed my income and I'm on disability. And so there's not a lot I can do about that fact. Um, and I don't have the ability to work even the amount that I could work, you know, as far, as far as there's a certain amount of money that you can make every month and not have a problem with disability. I can't work. I cannot right now. I cannot be relied upon to do, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to sleep most of the time. These days, you know, my goal is to be able to sleep when it's dark outside. I mean, that's like my goal these days. That's my number one desire is to sleep at night. And sometimes I get a few hours here and there, and sometimes I don't. You know, these days I'm working on uh, like five hours a day um, of sleep. And sometimes it comes at 5 a.m. and sometimes it comes at 5 p.m. And sometimes part of it comes at 5 p.m. and part of it comes at 10 o'clock. It just, you, 10 p.m. You just never, never know. I can't even... So the idea, the, the idea of being able to, and, and just the process of it, I'm just exhausted from. So there are things that I can do on my time, as far as, you know, the work that I want to do, that is so important to me, and that I feel is needed in the world. I know, I'm, and I'm not the only one doing it. I'm not, you know, grandiose here, but I do recognize and a lot of the conversations that we have about race that go wrong, they go wrong because we are, we are literally mistranslating each other. And it, it, it requires people who, who have, who have feet in both worlds or, you know, in both worlds to be able and who are willing to acknowledge because there's a temptation when you have a footing in the white world and that is what you're accustomed to. There's a temptation to move closer to whiteness, the culture of whiteness, as your identity in order to gain more, in hopes of gaining more acceptance. And re, in the process, rejecting the parts of you that are racialized. And, and in that way, also rejecting the, your community individuals in your community because there are things in your community that, you know, 
white culture is like, oh, they, those people who do that thing, they're so bad. They're so awful. Kind of like, kind of like the slap, you know, you know, Will Smith is horrible because horrible, violent person because he slapped Chris Rock. Well, the truth, when the fact is that in, in, except in, in mainstream culture, there's tons of acceptable, acceptable violence. There's ton of unacceptably accepted violence in white culture. And we, and I, and I could choose to align with that all being okay, but that, that slap being so horrible and meaning that, you know, Will Smith is a bad person and violent and dangerous and all of that crap. When we know that men have been hitting other men over women for centuries. Okay. So let's not play games. So there's a temptation to, there can be a temptation to do that. So it requires holding the tension within yourself of recognizing like how white people tend to look at things because of what their culture tells them, but also staying connected and bonded and, and loving and respectful of where, what my culture is. And that for me, I believe is the only way you can really do that help with the work that people need to do of learning how to talk to each other. And that is what I do, teach people how to talk to each other. Um, so I love that work and I can do that work very, very easily. I mean, as far as like things that exhaust me, um, data entry is way more tiring than sitting down with someone and helping them to understand their issues around race, helping them to talk about it, helping them to get comfortable with the idea that it's okay to talk about it, helping them to get comfortable with the idea that you don't have to show up perfectly, helping them to get comfortable with what expectations of racialized individuals are of them in these conversations, helping racialized people to understand like what happens when we try to have conversations with people who are white about race and they're not ready for it or they're uncomfortable or they're struggling. All of that stuff, right? I love it. It is me. It is the air that I breathe. Okay, whatever. Um, but I also know that as far as making it into a business, I can't do it. I cannot do it without help. I can't do it. And the help that I need is either finance or function. I can't make my body work better than it does. You know, I, 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 I try and I have moments where things are better, but as far as like right now, the function that I have is the function that I have. And frankly, because of that, the finance that I have is the finance that I have. And so if I want to get my life unstuck from this place of always like not having enough, it means being willing and learning how to reach out and ask for help with money. And so um, I was kind of talking to my friend about that earlier today. And he said something which I don't think I thought of, which I know I hadn't thought of before. Which is, oh, somebody, did someone say something in chat? Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. Hey, Chris, nice to see you. Um, so one of, what he said to me was, because I, you know, transactional. <laughs> 
I don't believe relationships should be transactional. I don't really feel them transactionally, but I will be honest. When we get to a place where I receive something that I do not have to give, I struggle a lot. And he kind of said, okay, you know, if you want to, it's not, it doesn't need to be transactional, but if it helps you to feel that way, if it helps you, excuse me, I've not been able to be around my friends very much lately because, you know, the platform that we're on, I don't have the bandwidth for. So I'm having like sort of sneaky around the corner conversations with them individually on Discord because, you know, going back into, you know, the platform means talking to a lot of people and being trying to be strict with myself about logging off, which is really, really hard because, you know, you get excited or you, you know, you just one thing rolls into another. And the next thing I know, I'm still there and I need to be offline and I'm not. So I'm not going online at all right now. Before I couldn't go online. Now I could probably could a little, but I, I could, I don't know how to do a little. Um, but they kind of still meet up and chit chat and, or they did recently. And he said that, you know, we were all sitting around. I got to tell you, you offer something to your friends that is really special and valuable and, you know, blah, blah, nice things he said. And that if I wanted to look at it as transactional, I could recognize that this thing that you offer is not something that the, that, you know, the person necessarily gives themselves. And it's not crazy to say, you know, to, he's like, because maybe you could look at it and recognize that they want to help you, that they like the idea of helping you. Which also kind of triggers a little thing for me. <laughs> because that, because I heard want and like, want to help me, like to help me, and the word debt came into my mind just as I said it. And I thought, uh oh, see, clearly I have some things to work out here. <laughs> oh my goodness, I just do. Um, when it's a friend, it's different because it's reciprocal. Because I have stuff that you need, you have stuff that I need, and blah, 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 blah. But still, money is its own thing. Something that I need so much. Because I do, I have friends that I'm like, they would not care. They have plenty of money. And being willing to allow it to be seen that I don't or that I need things or to ask for help in certain ways. Would not be a hardship for them. I, I, there are a couple in particular that I know would not, that, that the amount of money that I, that I need help with, they wouldn't even think twice. It would, they wouldn't miss. It would, it would be part of, it would be part of some like nonsense budget, like coffee that they would, you know what I mean? It, 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 I know this, I just, I need to keep reminding myself of it because like the, it's a self-defeating way of, way of looking at the world to only have needs met by other people if you don't really need it that bad. But for me, 
the degree of my need, and this happens with people too, not just money, the degree of my need in a situation is directly, directly affects my willingness and my ability to ask for help. Like the more I need it, the less able I am to ask, which is dumb, really, because <laughs> I think I, I probably, there are a lot of times in my life when I have been in emergencies that I didn't need to be in because I waited until the situation was so extreme. There was literally no other choice except for to ask for help. Um, so that is not a way to live. And, and in a way it's, it's a, it's a, in, in doing it that way, it's a system of diminishing returns because it's a race to the bottom. Because if I can, if I can only ask for help, when I'm really, really desperate for it, it means I'm always really desperate or close to it or two steps from it. And I, cause I will only also get the amount of help that I need for that moment and pretend that <sighs> it is so messy. I'm, I'm really glad that I decided to do this tonight because I was like, ah, I could hop on the mic, but you know, and, and I feel like inside of me that there are maybe things that I need to process out loud and say to the people who want to come listen or just, you know, the void, you know, just maybe, you know, there might be some things. I just don't know what they are, but maybe I won't. I'll just, you know, watch a TV show instead. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm glad that I decided to do this tonight because clearly it's not, that's something I never thought about before. It's like one of the reasons why I remain kind of desperate is because, or, you know, in need is because I, don't want to let people see me in need. Mind blowing, right? Even to say about I don't know. It's all so messy. It's very confusing. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I, okay. So even about my friend that I said, if he wanted to be with me, I would probably want to be with him. And that's the truth, but I don't think he wants to be with me. Um, hmm. I can go that far. I can go as far to say, and and because that is also that's also a truth. It's not just me sort of BSing and trying to not let it be seen how much I want someone or want a person to care about me. Um, that's not it. It is it is an actual truth that for me and probably for a lot of people, um, my the my affection is directly affected by the other person's. So if someone falls in love with me, um, I'm much more likely to fall in love with them. Not unless they're good for me, because that's just, mm, I don't know about fall in love, but like if someone feels romantically towards me, I'm much, because I don't really fall in love very often. 
and I've fallen in love twice in my entire life and I'm 47 years old. So I'm just saying. And both of those things came in the last five years. So, um, so if someone feels romantic, has romantic feelings towards me, the likelihood is I've recognized their attractiveness. I have recognized the ways in which they kind of give me a little zing in my, in my brain or my tummy. I recognize those things, but I recognize that about a lot of people. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of attractive people in the world. So it doesn't have to mean anything. But when the person gets intentional at me, ooh, oh, oh, <laughs> I just, it just, it just, it kicks everything into a whole nother gear. So yes, possibly, most likely, most probably, um, if they were interested in me, totally. And I don't like saying it because it makes me, if I, there's, before I said it, it, I don't feel that way now, but before I said it, it felt like something that would make me sound pathetic. Um, I sort of saying, oh, I love everybody who loves me. If you love me, then I'll start to love you. It is a trigger. It is a, a thing that provokes, you know, the feelings. I'm going to start looking around to say, is there a way that I can love you? Because I really love you loving me. It's awesome. Um, but if you're not going to be good for me, then the, the truth is, is that I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get into a relationship. So, so I guess, you know, love, money, love is connected to money and for most of us in a lot of really toxic ways. And, um, I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn because I also feel that I've been saying a lot and feeling a lot that I want to learn how to be connected. I struggle with it. I mean, the person that I was with, I, you know, my ex who I talk, have talked tremendous amounts of shit about the breakup, the relationship was amazing. And it was primarily amazing because he required he, he required it to be, and he showed up in a way that um, the amount of like emotional energy he had to pour forth to get from me what he got was unfair. He the amount of like the amount of love and affection and acceptance that he showed me. For that, for the amount that he he and the ways that he showed up in our relationship, he did not deserve to feel as uncertain of me as he did, and he felt uncertain of me because I didn't know how to show up. I didn't know how to. I had not yet learned how to make a person secure in a relationship with me. I still haven't really learned how to do that. I I want to because that way connection lies right true connection with people i have friends that i i really love who probably believe i know one of them for sure i love her to death she's like a sister to me but i think that she believes that i don't need her but i do and she's been giving me space when i would have loved for her to check in 
but she doesn't know that I would love for her to check in because the way I shows up, show up says I can, I can take you or leave you. I don't mean to. And it took a really long time in my relationship with my ex for us to get to a place where I, I felt like he recognized, no, no, he never did. He was never sure of me. He never felt like I, and not because he is um, insecure. I mean, we're, we all have insecurities, but that's not why he felt so unsure. I know that, and I can own that now. I can own that I did not show up like someone who wanted to keep someone in their life. Um, I was loving, I was a good partner, but I also kept a part of myself outside of us. And it was a part, and it was the part that said, I need you. My need for him was not something that I really very much allowed to show up in our relationship. My appreciation for him, my love for him, my enjoyment of who he was as a person, I feel I did a pretty good job of showing those things. But the need was um, something that I kept under wraps, which was unfair. I feel bad about that because I also feel like the way that the breakup happened probably would not would not have happened that way if he'd known that. Because we had a conversation in which he expressed a need and and I was that he hadn't expressed during our relationship. Um, and I was like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, you know, what would you have done if I told you? And I said, well, I would have done everything I could to make that okay. But here's the thing. If I wasn't able to, to give you that thing that you needed, then I would expect rather than be unhappy with me is for you to, to, to dump me. And he wasn't unhappy with me. He was just hurt and upset and blah, blah, blah. And he hung up on me. <laughs> He hung up on me and he hung up on me because, again, I couldn't stop showing him that I didn't need him. Even though it was a lie. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. In that moment, no, for sure. I mean, we, you know, too much damage had been done. There'd been, for me in that moment, to be able to access that part of me that could say, that could express a need for someone who, you know, blew the breakup so, so horribly. Um, but the truth was, was that within our relationship, there were things, I knew that there were things that he didn't tell me that he wanted or that he needed because he was afraid to. And I don't know that I did a very good job of making that feel safe. And I didn't, and I, I thought, and partly because I really didn't know, I didn't, I didn't recognize how much, how important it was for a partner to feel needed, for men in particular. Um, women feel needed. I, I feel like the way that relationships are constru constructed socially, women, the need, the, 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 our feeling needed in relationships is often a given because <laughs> there's always demands on our time, on our emotion, et cetera, et cetera. And we know that we're needed. Um, but 
men aren't socialized the same way. They're not socialized that it's okay to need things from people. It's not okay to need your woman the way you need her. It's not okay to need your lover, the one you love, the way that you need them to express it, right? There's hesitance there. And so there were times in our relationships where there would be silence, in our relationship where there'd be a silence. And I would sort of recognize the shape of it without understanding it. And um, there were bids for connection that I ignored. And I wish I hadn't done that, I, but I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to do more at the time. Um, I grew so much and I, I, I mean, I worked hard. I grew so much as a person to meet him and to be the kind of partner that he deserved. Um, because A, I felt like not just because I, I wasn't just like, quote, doing it for him or doing it because he demanded it. He absolutely didn't. I mean, he commanded it by his, the way he showed up. Um, but there were plenty of times when I knew that there was something more for me, wanted, needed, and I was too afraid to dig into it, to ask, to, uh, open up. And he said to me a couple of times, I feel like you're holding back. I didn't know what he meant. I knew I was holding back too, but I didn't know what he meant. I also didn't know what I was holding back for sure. So it's, it's super complicated. This stuff is super complicated. So, um, yeah, I would have, I would have, there were things, there were so many things I would have handled differently if I had been able to at the time, but I didn't because I couldn't, I didn't know how I do now. I'm, or at least I'm starting to get a clue and am wanting, actually kind of, this is, this is great. I love having, I'm so glad I did this um, because I'm excited. I can, I can practice on my friends. <laughs> I can practice on my friends and be like, by the way, I really need you. <laughs> I just need you to know that I need you um, because I do need them. I, I love them. And their presence, their, uh, what they give me becomes part of who I am. The things that they tell me, the advice, the, uh, the, the experiences, the way that they, the way that they show up in their own lives, all of those things that, you know, appeal to me and make me think, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I should do that. I need them. They are a part of me and I want them to know it and they deserve to know it. And that might be a first step to starting to tap around this whole, hey, you have moneyed friends to whom money does not mean a whole bunch. Why aren't you talking to them about this? And starting to kind of get into that. Um, yeah, it's super complicated. Everything is super complicated. Humans are complicated. Oh, so. I've been talking for an hour and I'm going to stop because <laughs> uh, um, I've been I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately that have not been getting published because they are too private. I have considered doing kind of like a Patreon, uh, 
but I don't really have a community. I mean, it would be one thing if I built a community around my podcast, but I haven't. And I don't think I really want to because I do this for me. You know, I don't know if I'd be able to show up as authentically if I knew that I would start speaking to the people in the community as opposed to speaking from my heart and, uh, you know, doing the whole streaming consciousness thing. Anyway, thank you for being here, Chris. Thank you for uh, showing up and uh, listening in. And I hope everybody has a good evening. Abud, thank you for showing. It's good to see you. Um, I hope everybody has a really good evening um, or day. I hope that you are doing way better than I am at showing the people in your life whom, how, how much they matter to you and letting them see that you need them. Um, and I will let you know how I start to do. I hope to do better. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. I love to grow. <laughs> I love growing. It's very exciting and interesting. And, and it puts your, and your life changes every time. That's the thing that I, I, I recognize about growth and, you know, in spite of, the times that I've resisted it or that I've struggled, um, every time we make a step to grow, every time someone's like, you're not showing up for me in a way that I need you to show up, it is so tempting to get into, hey, I hate your guts, or not I hate your guts, but we're like, mm, I don't think I need to do that, or you are being too sensitive, or you shouldn't be wanting that. You should want other things. So easy to do that because we get scared because change is scary. But here's the thing about growth is that when you grow, you change your life. Every time we grow, we change our lives. Every single time, every little step we make, every little change we make, we change our lives. We might not always know it, when we've made that adjustment, but the next time a situation comes up and you handle it completely differently and have a completely different experience than you've ever had when you've had like situations show up, you recognize that you've changed your life. It's so cool. It is so exciting. It is so much fun and it makes me feel good. All right. So I've been going on for like an hour. I'm going to stop. I was going to sing or read poetry, but I think I will do that another night. Um, Take good care of yourselves. Take good care of each other. Recognize that we are all in a trauma space a little bit post-pandemic or post-reopening of the world. We are still losing people. People are still getting sick. Um, and a lot of people are still grieving. And, uh, and all of us have been affected by all of the things that had to be done in order to try to manage the pandemic. And so try to recognize that in yourself and give yourself some grace and some patience and try to recognize it in others as well, that we're all a little weird and awkward and messed up right now. And <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so try to have a little bit of grace and patience, but also don't forget your own self-compassion because when you need to get disengaged from the nonsense, you need to disengage from the nonsense. I'm a fan of disengaging from nonsense. Anyway, um, okay. 
Chris says, you're welcome. I'm on five international podcasts, three primary. Visit our site, Beyond One's Beliefs, with Big Chief and Raccoon. It's very impressed. Oh. Oh, I think he's saying, I'm very impressed with your reaction, being so candid about your relationship. You're obviously a very strong, determined woman who will survive. We'll talk again, Chris. Ah, Chris, thank you very much. It was really sweet. So um, that is, again, that is Beyond One's Beliefs with Big Chief and Raccoon. So um, I'm going to say goodnight. Everybody, be well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Streaming consciousness. Out.